0: You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. One of the great pleasures I have as a pastor is that I get to eat food with a lot of people and I get to come over to many people's houses. Now, obviously, in this church, that's been a bit waylaid by COVID. uh, But over the last seven or eight years, that's been one of my great blessings. And one of the things that I've noticed is that before we eat food, most people say grace of some kind. Now, something else I've noticed is that almost no one says the same grace. Everyone seems to have their own grace to say, their own thanksgiving. It might be a set prayer that's been passed down from the family. It might be the Lord's prayer that you say. It might be a spontaneous prayer. It might be a song. And so what I thought we'd do to start off today is to teach you the grace that we sing in our house. Okay, Nate's going to be very excited about this, mostly because he thinks it's a cue for food. Okay, so it's very simple. Now, you have to hold your knives and forks like this, and it goes something like this. So I'll say it, and then we can do it together. The Lord is good to me and so I thank the Lord for giving me the sun and the moon and the apple tree. The Lord is good to me. Amen. Now why are we praying thanking God for the apple tree when we don't own one? We don't know. All right. So can we say this? We can sing this all together. We can have a go. Ready? The Lord is good to me. And so I thank the Lord for giving me the sun and the moon and the apple tree. The Lord is good to me. Amen. Very good, everyone. Well, now you've got a new grace to sing. Now you've got something to praise God for. The funny thing is that almost everyone thanks God for the food that we have. We acknowledge Him as the provider. We acknowledge Him as the source of what we have But something i've noticed is that we never really stop to think about why we eat to begin with why we eat at all why we are eating creatures we simply think well i'm hungry i want a sausage roll i'm going to go get that sausage roll and eat because i want to fill my stomach and yet god intentionally made us to eat he could have very well chosen a different means for us to be sustained a different means for us to be fed he could have made it like the plants that we just simply need to sit outside in the sunshine and get the sun's rays and be fed by photosynthesis. That could, that could have been great. The beach could have been our banquet. But God intentionally decided that we should be eating creatures. And He didn't just give us food. He gave us delicious food. It's not just that we have an energy bar that we take in and get all our vitamins and nutrients and we eat one meal a day and we're all good. No, we are in a world of steak and curry and slow-cooked meats and chocolate self and pudding. I'm having lunch now. That's, I'm getting hungry already. I'm salivating. Like we live in a world that is delicious. And so you might very well be asking what on earth does food have to do with jesus what on earth does the fact that we're eating creatures have to do with jesus well the answer is a whole lot and i want to show you in this miracle one of the most famous miracles that we have the feeding of the five thousand but let's let's just set the scene first so in the start of luke 9 jesus has gathered his disciples his apostles together And he gave them power and authority over the demons to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they don't welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. So Jesus has sent his disciples out into the world to preach the good news, to cure disease, and to have power over the demonic. And where we find the story this morning situated is that they've gone out, they've done ministry, and what you see is there's this pattern in the Gospels of Jesus doing things, or the apostles doing things, and then they... Retreat, they withdraw, they go to a deserted place, a quiet place, to be with God. And so that's what Jesus plans. He says, on the return, the apostles told Jesus all they'd done. They probably shared story after story of miraculous things. And he took them with him and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. Now this says something about Jesus. Jesus has sent his apostles out. They've gone out and done ministry. They're ready for their holiday. They've come back and immediately people are following them and Jesus isn't like, oh, please stop bothering me. I'm so tired of all this. Now he immediately gets to work. He starts speaking about the kingdom of God. He starts curing and healing those with sickness. And that's the backdrop to the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus and his disciples have done incredible things, they've withdrawn, and Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God and healing those who need to be cured. And so Jesus then feeds them, and we have this peculiar story about the feeding of the 5,000. So let's read it together. The day was drawing to a close, and the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they might go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions. For here, we are here. We are here in a deserted place. They're in the middle of nowhere. This is back, back Watersville, Bethsaida. But he said to them, "You give them something to eat." They said, "We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. There are about five thousand men." And he said to his disciples, "Make them sit down in groups of about fifty each." They did so and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. All ate and were filled, and what was left over was gathered up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. Now this is a straightforward story. The crowd is hungry, they've got five loaves, two fish... And Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 hungry men. Now, if you've ever fed a house of hungry men, you'll know what a miracle this is indeed. 5,000 hungry people, hungry men. There's a lot to feed. But if we zoom out, an important question to ask is, what is the point of a miracle? Jesus does lots of miracles throughout the Gospels, but I wonder if you ever asked, why? Why does Jesus turn water into wine? Why does Jesus heal the sick? Why does Jesus bring Lazarus back from the dead? Why does Jesus feed 5,000 people? What is the point of miracles? Jesus isn't just some kind of magician who's learnt a new trick and wants to show off to the crowd. Look everyone, I can turn water into wine now. Isn't that pretty cool? No, he's revealing something about his kingdom. He's revealing something about who he is. And that's what he's doing in this story. He's showing something about the kingdom and showing something about who he is. And the interesting thing about this story is that it's actually sandwiched between two interactions asking the same question, who are you, Jesus? They're wanting to know who Jesus is And sandwiched between them is Jesus revealing something about his nature, something about his kingdom. So King Herod, who uh, has been in opposition to Jesus the whole way through in a variety of different ways, he enters the story. He heard about all that had taken place. The disciples have been sent out. They've got power over demons. They're healing the sick. They're teaching about the kingdom of God. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the ancient prophets had arisen. And Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he tried to see him. So the disciples are going off, they're doing their thing, Jesus is doing his thing. And Herod's like, I need to work out who this is. What is going on? He comes up with three distinct options. Number one, it might be John the Baptist come back to life. Now this is a particularly spooky for Herod because John the Baptist was beheaded at one of Herod's banquets. So he's like, has this guy come back to do some damage? Like, what's going on? I, I know what happened to this guy. This isn't like he disappeared somewhere. Like, I know what happened to him. How can it be John? Second, it might be Elijah. Now, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he didn't die a natural death. He was raised up to heaven in a chariot of fire. So the Jews often believed that before the Messiah would come, Elijah would descend from heaven to announce the way of the Lord. So maybe it's Elijah. Maybe Elijah has come back. Or maybe it's one of the ancient prophets. Most people seem to think that he's talking about Moses because Moses said that a prophet greater to me or a greater in my ilk would come back to announce the way of the Lord. So maybe it's Moses, John, Elijah, or Moses. Those are the three options. And the interesting thing is that after Jesus feeds the 5,000, he asks his disciples who the crowd thinks he is, and they come up with the same response. In Luke 9, 18-20, Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? Same question. Who are you, Jesus? They answered, John the Baptist. But others said, Elijah. And still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. Now this is an important point in the Gospels because this is the first time that one of Jesus' closest disciples has identified him as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the one who is to come and save Israel. And so the question you might very well ask, what's changed? What's provided the clarity for them? What's what's different about this interaction? It's the feeding of the 5,000. And I don't think it's just that Jesus did a miracle because Jesus has done miracles before. And it's not just that Jesus healed people because Jesus has healed people before. And it's not just that Jesus taught about the kingdom because he's done that before. There's something unique, something about this meal that he has with 5,000 people that allows them to identify him for the very first time. I don't know if you've ever had an interaction with someone where they've, they've said something or they've done something or you've seen something and you're like, that's actually who you are. Beneath all the, the Instagram pictures, beneath all the Facebook photos, beneath all the things that you say about yourself, this is actually who you are, for better or worse. Maybe they're a better person than you thought. Maybe they're a worse person. But for the first time, you're like, I see you. Jesus' disciples saw him. After feeding the 5,000, like that's actually who you are. In the book of Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, there's something called the messianic banquet. And it was this meal that was to take place. Where God's people will be fed forever, where death itself would be undone, where good would be over, bad would be taken by evil, where everything would be turned back to the way it was meant to be, just take, just have a read of this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples. The sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. And the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he Might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. I don't know about you, but there's something about me that yearns for that meal, that meal where no one will ever go hungry again, that meal when death itself will be undone, when sickness will be done away with, the shroud that separates people will be gone. There's something about this meal where we come and celebrate together. The presence of the Lord something about this meal when Jesus feeds the 5,000 he's not hosting the messianic banquet because even though he heals people they will eventually die and even though he feeds people until they are full they come back the next day asking for more Yet what takes place in the feeding of the 5,000 is a glimpse of the kingdom to come. And the glimpse allows them to identify for the very first time, this is who you are. This is what your kingdom is like. This is who you are, Jesus. I see you. There's something in the feeding where everybody eats and everybody is filled. There's something when they start off with five loaves and two fish and end up with 12 baskets of food left over. They start with more, they end with more than they started with. There's something about this interaction. There's something that takes place when Jesus is the provider and Jesus is at the center of this sumptuous meal that allows them to see the kingdom of God for the very first time. And here's the truth, when we meet together and eat and have Jesus as our provider and Jesus at the center, we can see the kingdom of God at work. We get a taste, we get a glimpse of what God's kingdom is like. We get a taste of what it looks like to be at this banquet forever. It's not the full thing, it's not the real thing, it's a taste. We live in a world that doesn't eat meals anymore. Doesn't eat meals together, should I say, rather. So a full, uh, there was a recent survey in the UK, a full 40% don't eat another, one meal with anyone else at all. Now, we live in a world full of problems, massive problems. Problems overseas, problems in Europe, problems with COVID, problems with businesses, problems everywhere. And they're complex. And to be honest with you, I don't know how to solve them. I don't know. I don't have enough information. I don't, I don't know what to do with half the things going on in the world. But I know two great places to start. One is to pray, because the Lord God knows. And the second is to start eating with people. Because when we eat with people... There's something about that that gives them a glimpse of the kingdom of God. When we see the kingdom of God, we start to see the kind of king that we need to follow. And when we start following the king of kings, we put down our weapons and follow him. Each one of us has 21 meals a week. If you eat breakfast Lunch and dinner, that's 21 opportunities to usher in the kingdom of God that you get each and every week. So who are you eating with? Who are you meeting with? Who are you inviting into your home? Who are you eating with at work? Who are you eating your meals with? It matters. Let me give you five suggestions of people you could eat with this week to get a taste and a glimpse of what the kingdom is like. Your family, your church, your friends, your co-workers, and those who feel far from God. Now, I say eat with your family. If you're a family and you're all together at home, you'd think this is a slam dunk. A recent American survey said that 65% of families don't eat one meal together in a given month, which to me is, like, incredible. This is a slam dunk, Right? Eat meals together. You'll not only get to hear each other's stories, you'll get to hear about each other's days, but you get a glimpse of the kingdom. There's so much good in eating food together. Now, I understand we live busy lives. But if we can't eat one meal together a day, one, a couple of meals together a week, maybe the reality is, is that we're too busy. <laughs> maybe that's something that we need to pare back on. Eat with your church. On Friday night we had youth group and uh, it's, it's been a really interesting uh, year of youth group so far because uh, last year we had eight or nine year 12s who have now moved up to young adults and so youth has been quite small and on Friday we had one of our smallest ever nights and it's really easy to uh, just get lost and think that things aren't working out or this isn't what we wanted. But it was one of the best nights we've ever had. You know what we did? We went and got fish and chips. We brought it back to the church. We played some games and we talked about Jesus for two hours. That's a taste of the kingdom of God. We laughed, we told stories. That's a taste of the kingdom to come. We all all the leaders left and like that was great. That's a taste. Eat with your friends. One of the interesting findings is that basically after the age of 30, people stop making friends and start losing friends. We get too busy, we have responsibilities, we have requirements placed on us. Eat with your friends. Don't lose track of people who love you, people who pray for you, people who know you, people who you invite into your lives. Your house might be busy, invite them in anyway. You might not have enough food, invite them in anyway. We talked about at Young Adults one week, how many fridge friends do you have? How many people do you know who could come in and open your fridge without feeling awkward? Right? How many people are midnight friends who they've got a problem at midnight, you're the person who call. They call, right? Eat food with your friends, invite them into your house. Eat with your co-workers. Now, I was talking to my dad the other day. My dad uh, works in the city. Uh, and obviously eats lunch every day. My dad uh, has never missed a meal in his entire life. He, he enjoys his food. He said to me that there are people at his workplace that he's worked with for ten plus years that he's never talked to, that he's never talked to beyond business. He's never talked to to get lunch together. He's never heard their story. I was like, this is a great opportunity for you, Dad. Why don't you just go up and say, Kylie, why don't we go and get lunch together? Like, Carolyn, why don't we just go get lunch together today? Rohit, why don't we just go get lunch together? I'd love to hear your story. I'm in. Like, that's... Yeah. And Mitch! I went, I went right. Mitch, we can get lunch. Right? It's such an easy way to hear people's stories and get to know them. And eat with those who feel far from God. There's a the very famous story of a Roman emperor called Julian the Apostate. Now he was the last pagan emperor of Rome and he had a particular bugbear about Christians. Now one of these bugbears was that they didn't worship the pagan gods but his other bugbear, the thing that really got up in his grill is that they ate food with everybody. He was upset because the Christians were showing everyone up because they didn't just eat with other Christians. They met with everyone. They gave charity. They gave food away. They met with anyone and everyone. It didn't matter whether you were high class, low class, middle class, whether you were white-collar worker, blue-collar worker. It doesn't matter who you were. We would eat with you because we want you to experience the kingdom of God when we eat together. Don't just stay with those You know, eat with people who feel far from God. Eat with those who love to show a taste of the kingdom. You've got 21 meals a week. Pick one of them and say, I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to meet with the family. I'm going to meet with my church. I'm going to meet with your friends. I'm going to meet with my co-workers. I'm going to meet with someone who who feels far from God this week. There are people in this church who don't know each other, even though they've gone to the same church for five years, ten years. Solution. Yeah. Go, go have a Palmer together. Go down to the pub or to the cafe or to the restaurant or wherever it is. And eat food together. Now you might very well at this point say, I can't do that. I'm nervous about COVID, fair enough. I don't have enough money, fair enough my house is messy, fair enough. I get it, right? I get it. But it also sounds an awful lot like the disciples, doesn't it? Jesus says, go feed those 5,000 men. And they say, what? With what? We've only got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, go do it anyway. What did they do? They had faith in Jesus. They used what they had. And they trusted that God would bless their endeavor. So what should you do? have faith in jesus use what you have you don't need to go and have a 15 course banquet you don't need to go and buy a whole bunch of things use what you have use what resources you have at your disposal if you've already cooked food go find someone else to eat it with you don't need to buy them food just eat with them if you don't want people at your house go for a picnic. Go for it! Like there are so many different opportunities to share the kingdom of God with people through food. Use what you have, and trust that God will bless your endeavor. Right? So that's my challenge this week. Go grab a meal with someone that you don't know, someone from your church, someone from your family. You probably know them a bit better. Someone of your coworkers, someone who feels far from God, one of your friends who you haven't seen in a while and pray that you would get a taste, a glimpse of the kingdom to come, that as you share stories, that as you eat food that God has provided for you, that God has designed for you to eat and enjoy as a reflection, of a, as a gift from Him, that we all might get a taste of His kingdom and enjoy His presence. So why don't I pray for us now? God, we thank You that You made us in a world where food is a thing. You could have made us to get food from the sun or food from mud, but no, you gave us delicious banquets to eat from as a sign of what the kingdom is like, that you gave us variety and creativity and joy in what we eat. So God, we pray that as we eat, not only with ourselves, but with each other, that you would break in and give us a taste of the kingdom to come that as we eat and share stories and enjoy each other's presence, that we would enjoy your presence and that we would get a, just have a clear sense of who you are. God, for many of us, this has not been our way of life. So give us courage. Give us confidence in yourself. Provide for us in all the ways that we need provision. God, may we see your kingdom come. God, we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.